And I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Hey, today's a big day because we have the National College Football Championships tonight. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be uh, Michigan and Washington. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, But we have a lot of things that uh, developed over the weekend. Uh, Lloyd Austin, (laughs) he's in deep doo-doo. Lloyd Austin, man, woo, wow, what, what a, what an, what a non-action he took. Goes to the hospital for an elected procedure, and next thing you know, he decides he's not going to tell anybody. Next thing you know, he goes back to the doctor's office and ends up in the ICU, intensive care unit. And, you know, that's, I guess, a life-threatening environment, right? If you're in the ICU, you're not in too good a shape. It's at that point that maybe you decide, well, you know what? I ought to call somebody. I ought to call the Deputy Defense Secretary, right? The Secretary of Defense, Deputy Secretary of Defense. It's a woman, um, and she's on vacation, (laughs) And they decide, well, we're not going to let the president know. And, of course, Biden doesn't retain anything anyway. He's got dementia. So he doesn't even let the Joint Chiefs of Staff know. He doesn't even let the Secretary of State know. Because Anthony Blinken uh, also gave a statement that he was not informed. So President Trump, who out in Iowa, gave a two-hour speech Unbelievable speech. Two hours. He's taking it seriously because he wants to put this to bed. He wants to put this primary season to bed before it starts. Because momentum in politics is unstoppable. And right now you have the complete establishment media 
You know how like there's like layers of defenses? Well, the entire establishment elite once wanted DeSantis. But then DeSantis DeSantis was not ready for prime time, right? He's ready for Florida, but he's not ready for prime time. And then they were looking at Vivek. Oh, but Vivek is anti-globalist. And like I said in the very beginning, the whole thing about the elections, they're controlled by the globalists. They're controlled by the corporations who are owned and operated by Larry Fink at BlackRock. And Larry Fink has a joint partnership with Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Incidentally, Davos is happening, right? Right around the corner. It's like next week. And so the issue is, I think it's about the same time as CES, the Computer uh, Expo, uh, Electronics Show, Consumer Electronics Show, out in Vegas. So, you know, the thing is, Larry Fink, BlackRock, they own like 90%. They own a stake in 90% of all the biggest businesses in the world. So they get to control the supply chain. They get to control uh, the politicians with their money. They get to get to control the media with their narrative, with their ad dollars. They get to extort and coerce and do a whole bunch of things. And you just wonder what they're doing. But that's what that's what BlackRock is doing. BlackRock is doing that. So they're working hand in glove with Klaus Schwab because they want cooperative. The only thing bigger than a BlackRock, the only thing that can end BlackRock are governments. Governments, you know, have all the they have all the money that the people provide. Incidentally, 2024, we now have some sort of a budget. I think the Republicans folded like a cheap suit and equivocated. So kudos to Mike Johnson, not. Mike Johnson, uh, I think, made a bad deal. Speaker Johnson. But back to this whole thing. So we have have, uh, puppet leaders. We have Lloyd Austin in the ICU, probably now out of the ICU. We have a uh, banana republic government. But Donald Trump would like to get rid of the primary because Nikki Haley is probably now the next thing. So like I was saying, DeSantis, they thought the world of him, they gave him all their money. This is the first barrier to entry for Trump. They got Jack Smith breathing down Trump's neck. He got the Supreme Court weighing in on the uh, Colorado decision. <laughs> and they're going to expedite their, their ruling. I think, uh, it's, but by expedite, I mean like they're going to rule by February. So it's not like the next couple of days. That's election meddling and interference if I've ever seen it. So you got all these barriers to Trump because Trump is, you know, basically not playing ball with the corporate cabal, with the BlackRock-owned multinational corporations. He wants 
America first. He wants unilateral um, uh, sovereignty. He doesn't like the UN or the WHO controlling American sovereignty in any way, shape, or form. And he thinks that unilateral trade deals are not so bad. May the best best marketer win. You know, the thing is about the United States, we have the biggest economy. Everybody's going to kiss our ring. Every negotiation you walk into, you win. Because everybody wants your business. You're the richest guy in town. And Trump knows that. Trump knows that from being a real estate investor in in a in a land in a market where he was not always the biggest and he knows that with with leverage comes great deals you could always make a great deal with leverage well the united states under trump has all the leverage because trump decides with america first that he's going to make the best deal for america and he's going to use Americans lever- America's leverage. When we enter into these multinational, multi-trade, uh, multi-country trade deals, we cede power to developing nations in a form of socialism. Remember when Obama said to J- J- uh, Joe the plumber, we're going to spread it around a little. We're going to take money out of your pocket and give it to you. And that means that the the middle class that's having to pay the pay for the student loan forgiveness or pay for the, all this other stuff pay for all these vaccines money's going out of their pocket into Zelensky's pocket out of their pocket and going into Pfizer's pocket and they're going out of their pocket and they're going into SEIU and Planned Parenthood's pocket stuff that they don't want to spend money on They just want a pothole filled. They want the government to be limited. They want to have power to the people where people have more power than the government. It's pretty simple. Founding fathers developed a republic, formulated it to to decentralize government, to to, uh, create uh, power with the people. But all of a sudden, government has become centralized so that a very select few control a larger swath of people. And that's what Larry Fink and Klaus Schwab are up to on the private sector. So long as they have good relations with um, superpower leaders. And they don't really have control of China, but they do because Xi depends on the world's markets to, uh, to utilize their slave labor to keep everybody fed in China. They don't have any real control over Putin, although Putin was a young World Economic Forum globalist leader, according to Klaus Schwab. Even Putin was. But then Putin changed his stripes and became more powerful and autonomous with Russia's uh, pivot to uh, a more socialist, communist state. Because remember back in the Gorbachev days, they were moving away from uh, CCP and communism and trying to go with a more democratic society. 
And then people were starving because that always happens in a transition like that. And next thing you know, Putin came back in because they, they had bad leadership. Like Yeltsin was a drunk every day. And Putin came back in and sort of took the reins and took power back and decided he's going to go back to the old way of Russian pride. And people bought it hook, line, and sinker. They just couldn't weather that storm and that transition. I think if they stuck with it, Russia would be better off today, but they're not. And so Putin doesn't need, and that's why he moved away from that globalist agenda and went with a more dominating Russian, uh, imperial Russia kingdom, sort of like. So, you know, and both of them, you know, either have been in power, like Xi doesn't want to do any more elections and Putin doesn't really either. They, they, I think they might call it an election, but you get the idea. Well, getting back to the primary, Trump gave this two-hour speech, and Trump weighed in on Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. And again, Nikki Haley is nipping at the heels of Trump, but Trump sees that if he can dominate in Iowa and he could dominate in New Hampshire, he's got it. Everybody else has to fold like a cheap suit. And, you know, depending on how Iowa goes, if DeSantis falls to third uh, behind Nikki Haley or fourth behind uh, Vivek, um, then he'll probably go back to being a governor for the next couple of years in Florida. And then Matt Gates will step up because... Uh, because DeSantis will be in his second, finish up his second term, and Matt Gates will be the heir apparent. I don't know how much support he'll get from DeSantis because he's not a globalist like DeSantis is. You got to say that at this point, DeSantis is a globalist because he took all this money from Paul Ryan, who's a globalist, like an ironclad globalist. And, you know, he's taken money from a lot of other, Je- the Bushians. Jeb Bush endorsed him. So you get the idea that, you know, DeSantis is a globalist. The question is whether or not Vivek is a globalist. But the reason why they sidestepped Vivek and went to Nikki Haley, even though Nikki Haley's not very smart, is because Vivek keeps on blowing up these woke madness and DEI and white supremacy and all that BS, right? We have some audio clips to that. That's why I cue that up like that. Because we have some really great Vivek clips. But if you get a chance to listen to Trump's two-hour speech over the weekend in Iowa, man, it was unbelievable, off the hook. But Donald Trump tweeted this or truthed this out. He says, Failed Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin should be fired immediately for improper professional conduct and dereliction of duty. He has been missing for one week. And nobody, including his boss, crooked Joe Biden, had a clue as to where he was or might be. He has performed poorly and should have been dismissed long ago. Along with General Mark Milley, for many reasons, but in particular, the catastrophic surrender in Afghanistan, perhaps the most embarrassing moment in the history of our country. Well, there's a lot more to be embarrassed about if you're Lloyd Austin or Mark Milley. 
or even Anthony Blinken for that matter. You know, the State Department uses the CIA as an enforcement and an information gathering tool. And they use USAID as an extorter uh, to bribe and pay off people. And uh, that's, that's what the State Department has become. You think that the FBI is bad? It's bad. The FBI is as corrupt as hell. And frankly, that's what's going on, too, is they got compromat all over the place. They set up these honeypots, these honey traps, where they get some supermodel to walk into some Joe Blow bar where a congressman might be sitting and take them home with cameras and extort them. So then when they want a new building, the FBI says, hey, I need you know, $10 billion on, for, for a new building that's bigger than the Pentagon. We want to be bigger, stronger, more, more uh, intrusive into your lives. We want to take away all your civil liberties, but we need more muscle. Just like but the Mayorkas needs more money for lawyers and processors to process more people through our open borders. I got economic numbers that say that there are more hires. You know, you talk about jobs. There are more uh, there are more non-citizens now getting jobs than citizens. I'm going to read to you that report too. So, yeah, that's uh, Trump weighed in on that. But Lloyd Austin, that's kind of a big deal. You know, he just rogue. He just roguely, willy-nilly just decides he's going to go in for a procedure, ends up in the ICU, doesn't tell anybody until a week later. Meanwhile, you know, he's the person in charge of, like, the nuclear response to a nuclear war. We are so vulnerable, people. We are so vulnerable. So take a listen to this. I'm going to play a little bit of this clip. This is, you know, we were talking about the CIA and uh, the State Department and, uh, you know, USAID. But we were talking about all that. And we wonder why the State Department and, you know, USAID and, and the CIA are such libtards. Why they're such academic little soy boys. Why they're so, such, you know, such, you know, um, weak, weaklings. You know, they're just cowards. They're spineless. They're snakes. You know, they rig elections in every, everywhere that it suits them. They hide bioweapons. They violate treaties and laws internationally. You know, they don't play by the rules. And they intrude in your life. And they assassinate presidents. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, Martin Luther King, not a president, but probably assassinated by the FBI or the CIA. You got the CIA involved in JFK, CFK, uh, CIA involved but in RFK. The CIA was involved, I think, in Watergate. We know that, actually, to be the case. We got the CIA involved probably in the... Um, in the um, Reagan assassination attempt. But the CIA is just a dirty, rotten, little uh, academic soy boy uh, infested uh, 
employment agency filled with academics. I have the lowest esteem for the CIA, the State Department, and what they've become and what they've allowed themselves to become because they only have one party that's ruling there. It's a Democrat. It's a socialist. And Democrat Socialists of America, DSA, have embedded themselves in our entire bureaucracy. And you wonder how this started. How did it happen? How is it that universities hire about 90 to 95% libtards to, to teach your children? How, how did that get to be that way? If they're so open-minded and if they're so not politically biased, then how did it get to be that bias? I remember bringing this up to a friend of mine about 15, 20 years ago. You can't tell me how is this. You know what his response was? His response was, that's because you know liberals tend to be more academic because they, they, they read more. <laughs> I mean, it was such a weak response. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. It's so stupid. You can't even debate that. It's like, if that's what you believe, good luck with you. Good luck with that. Of course, he's still liberal, and he moved from Philadelphia to Florida. <laughs> so he's going to carry his politics down to Florida? Reminds me when the Germans came to America, and we have communists in our midst. You take this 1982 60 Minutes documentary talking about the CIA and Nazi connections. Let's take a listen. This is kind of how it happens, right? You wonder how we got here. This is just a part of it. Close to 200,000 Americans <clears throat> lost their lives fighting the Nazis in World War II. And yet, hundreds of those Nazis and their collaborators... Oh, by the way, if you're guessing, that's Mike Wallace. That's a 1982 60 Minutes documentary. Let's take a listen. It's, it's 26 minutes long. We're not going to listen to the whole thing. We're going to listen just to the first segment of it. But if you get a chance, try to find the whole thing and listen to the whole thing. It's just we can't do that on the show. Let's take a listen. Eventually wound up living comfortably here in the United States, becoming U.S. citizens. How did it happen? That is the story we shall tell in The Nazi Connection, a story you have never heard till now, of how highly placed U.S. officials, despite the express orders of two presidents of the United States, invited Nazi collaborators, killers, to these shores to trade what they knew about the Soviet Union for sanctuary here. Several hundred Nazi collaborators from Eastern Europe and Russia were smuggled into the United States for intelligence purposes. Smuggled by whom? State Department Intelligence, State Department, the Office of Policy Coordination. It was the first covert spy agency set up in the United States. It predated the CIA by several months. Who is this man making these charges, and what gives him the right to say what he has just said? His name is John Loftus, and for two years he was a prosecutor with the Office of Special Investigations in the Department of Justice, responsible for weeding Nazis and Nazi collaborators out of the United States. His security clearance went three <coughs> levels above top secret. But this young Irish Catholic attorney, now in private practice in Boston, 
has decided that his conscience demands that he bring to light what he says remained for too long, a dark and sinister top secret. We had one unit of the government out trying to prosecute the Nazis and other units of the government trying to secrete the information. We later established that the files pertaining to the Nazi immigration had been withheld from Congress, from the courts, from the CIA, and from the local agents of the Immigration Service. Didn't President Roosevelt, didn't President Truman say specifically that war criminals were not to be brought into the country? That's absolutely true. And Jimmy Carter went even further in 1980 when he said that any Nazi war criminal who had gotten into the United States should be rooted out. The world must never forget the lessons of the Holocaust. That is exactly the reason why, after 40 years of government inaction, I set up a special unit in the Department of Justice to root out Nazi war criminals who may be in hiding in the United States. That was the unit John Loftus worked for, a unit that is still trying to denaturalize and or deport Nazi war criminals living in the United States. We asked Loftus who it was who had run the old OPC, the Office of Policy Coordination, that was responsible for bringing Nazi collaborators into the United States. A man by the name of Frank Wisner. He was a, a former intelligence operator during World War II. With the OSS? That's correct. His boss was Alan Dulles in Germany. The Office of Strategic Services, was it called? Yes, it was. Alan Dulles, does that name ring a bell? He was the CIA director that JFK fired before JFK was assassinated. There's nobody in the State Department at a higher level who knew what was going on and, and okayed it? Did Frank Wisner have no boss? There were three men who principally were Eisenhower's representative for Cold War affairs during the early 50s. C.D. Jackson, Undersecretary of H.E.W. Nelson Rockefeller, and Vice President Richard Nixon. Would they have known that former Nazi war criminals were being employed by U.S. military intelligence and were being invited into the country, given U.S. citizenship, despite what they had done? By, I read some... By the State Department and the CIA, uh, the, by the State Department, who developed the CIA, made up initially of Nazis from Nazi Germany, the most radical socialist commies you could ever imagine. Now you know what the CIA's birthright is, what, they, what the, the fabric that they've come from and evolved from. And the State Department is their brainchild. Not so smart, right? Not so smart. Well, we're going to you know, move along, but uh, this gets into some really heavy stuff. And uh, it's just interesting, to say the least. All right, we're going to move along. So uh, I told you uh, Kirby uh, was given this speech. We played it last week about the elections in Taiwan. And what's interesting about that is um, 
you know, there's another report by Mike Benz. He says, remember when the Pentagon spent $500 million producing Al-Qaeda propaganda videos? U.S. government spent over $500 million on fake Al-Qaeda propaganda videos that tracked location of viewers. I said, let's not forget that American CIA, State Department, USAID, and Pentagon are actively gifting China by meddling in Taiwan's elections to install radical socialist leadership that will eventually comply with Chinese interests. Because we all know that the Biden crime family has to bow to China or they will be, the, the information will be released, compromat will be released. You know, our president, uh, the Biden crime family is compromised and they're holding the Oval Office right now. I hesitate to call him president because I don't think he was duly elected. They rigged, not duly. He was elected, but not duly. The, they rigged Ukraine's elections to facilitate bioweapons. Remember, they took the bioweapons. I believe that they took weapons of mass destruction. I think that they did exist. Uh, there's no doubt about it that chemical weapons were used in Syria. Uh, when Trump wanted to pull out of Syria, all of a sudden these chemical weapons pop up. Where did they get them from? So, I mean... No, there's no doubt that those weapons exist. They went in, got them, and stored them in Ukraine, figuring, well, Russia is really the bigger threat, especially when it comes to controlling the Middle East because Russia controls Syria. So if they want to neutralize the threat of Russia in the Middle East, they'll take all the chemical weapons from the Middle East, store them in Ukraine, and say, look, I'm not going to say I have them or I don't have them, but you know, you come, you come at us over here, and we're going to hit you over there. We're going to send some uh, bioweapon bioweapons into Moscow, and you'll have a real problem on your hands, and you'll lose the support of your people. So that's the way you know dirty politics and dirty wars are played. But Kirby is just such a liar. You know, you, you can't trust him for nothing. And I have this one clip where he's basically talking out of both sides of his mouth, says one thing, then he says another. Um, and uh, yeah, I was trying, I was trying to find it actually, but uh, let's see. Well, I probably could find it. Um, but in any case, it's not that important. I mean, Kirby lies, right? And he says he says two different things all the time. But um, I have a big piece on January 6th, and I have the Vivek Ramaswamy stuff. But here's the Kirby clip. Let's take a listen. The U.S. will have visibility. And we'll be able to engage in oversight about where the money was going and for what purpose. If Iran tries to divert the funds, this is the uh, Iranian money—the six billion dollars that they released into Iranian hands. We'll take action, and we'll lock them up again. And there will be sufficient oversight to make sure that the request is valid, and that it's going through uh, uh, vendors who we who we and the Qataris can trust will actually. 
And by vendors, you know what he means? He means the Carlisle Group. He means uh, Anthony Blinken's West Exec Group. He means uh, Albright. Um, uh, and he means uh, a, whole bu- a whole bunch of other in the swamp, CIA-connected uh, intelligence and think tank firms. People that actually take the money, hire lobbyists within the Beltway to pay off politicians to release more money. So, like, for example, $6 billion is released into the Iranian hands. They're being told they have to use vendors, just like Kirby just said. And those vendors are inside the Beltway on K Street in Washington, D.C. And what they do is they hire their big firms and they have lobbyists packed with, armed with a lot of money that make promises of money to be paid to politicians for their cooperation. You also have the CIA doing the compromat and the honeypot. So politicians end up sleeping with some model and they're videotaped and they're cheating on their family and next thing you know, they're compromised. And so there's just a lot of that going on, right, in in D.C. And it's not about ideas and politics and and the freedom of, you know, representation. It's about coercion, extortion, and I think criminal acts in general. And so that's what's going on there. So listen carefully to the words he's using. And that it's going through uh, uh, vendors who we, who we and the Cutteries can trust will actually... And the Cutteries, the Cutteries are nothing but a, a haven for Palestinians. And they're the biggest donor. They're the biggest money launderer for universities. Cutter, not Russia, not China, but China's a close second, but Cutter... They're one of the richest, smallest nations in the world, thanks to liquid natural gas and some other things. And that's why also Russia is the world's dominate liquid natural gas. Russia's number one. Cutter's, I think, number two or three. But the sheer size of Cutter is so small. It's like a thumbnail, right? But Russia's huge. But Russia's big asset is liquid natural gas. Anyway. And, and by the way, clean gas has been the single most important thing to clean our environment, clean natural gas. Anyway, let's continue. Contract for the goods, the medical equipment, the food, whatever it is. The regime doesn't get to touch the money, Peter. Doesn't go to them. They don't get to, the, they don't get to decide uh, ultimate destination, uh, and, uh, and they have no direct access to it. Um, John, Iran made two transactions. This is, now, this is the switch. This is the switch. This is where he's going to contradict himself. Withdrawing from the previously frozen funds in Oman. What were those transactions for? I don't have the details on that, Jackie. You're going to have to let me get back to you on that. The U.S. will have. He doesn't know. He doesn't know where the money went. Of course, he's not going to answer that question, right? Hey, Trump policies are working. Biden preparing to keep many of the Trump's China tariffs. Okay. Stunning statistics. There has been zero increase in jobs for native born workers in over five years since July 2018. Let me read that again. 
There has been zero increase in jobs for native-born workers in over five years since July 2018. And if you look at this graph, foreign-born skyrocketing, foreign-born workers, because they work cheap. The work, their, their, their work, we're bringing basically China to America. China shouldn't be the only one with slave laborers and, and prison camp laborers like Uyghurs, right? Let us get in on the action. Yeah, they're, they're still the ones, the chief importer, uh, exporter, importer of uh, all electronics and all manufacturing. And they're great at it, and they're cheap. And they got the shipping lanes down pat and the Silk Road Initiative. And, and that's what the Paris Agreement was all about. Ban the heck out of um, manufacturing in the West. Green light developing, so-called developing nations like China and India, which represent 3 billion people. Green light them to do all the cheap labor and set the world up that way. All the highly educated will create the patents and inventions in the West and the engineering. And then all the slaves will be in the East and that's the way the new world order is shaping up to be, isn't it? That's how it's going to look. That's how it is. But we still need a dishwasher. We still need a meat packer. We still need a a uh, uh, a hospitality clerk, you know, to clean the rooms, vacuum. We still need the janitors and and all the low end uh, laborers. We still need our Lyft drivers and Uber drivers. So we still need to import cheap labor because those little spoiled, rotten little students at Wellesley College or the Ivy Leagues with their privilege is not going to want to do those jobs, especially after they spend $200,000 on an education that they want Joe the Plumber to pay for through student loan forgiveness. Boy, what a scam. Take a listen to this. The two-month jobs revision in a combined form is minus 71,000 jobs. Let's take a listen. I don't see all the revisions yet specifically, but the two-month revision in a combined form is minus, minus 71,000. Traders find these revisions very disheartening. I don't see all the revisions. So that was a new revision last week. Uh, this was put out by the RNC Research. Um, they, they dated January 5th, 2024. They put this report out from CNBC. Basically, the revision was 71,000 less jobs. I'm telling you, banking, I see, I watch certain news and I see positive results, uh, positive reports. And then I see other news and it's a completely different um, story. And, uh, you know, so we'll, it remains to be seen how this economy is going to go, go in 2024. Duplicate of Obama's economy, where people needed a second job to survive. Nearly 95% of all new jobs during Obama era were part-time or contract. Biden's economy, part-time workers soar 762,000 to the highest on record. Multiple job holders hit a all-time high. 8.565 million. 
So full-time workers plunge 1.5 million in one month to lowest since February 2023. That's according to Zero Hedge. So removing Biden from the ballot. So it begins. Missouri State Senator files bill to remove Biden from the 2024 election ballot in Missouri. Yeah, you know, two could play the game, right? That's the point. That That is the point. So this uh, Illuminati writes this. The morning of September 11, 2001, George Herbert Walker Bush was holding a business meeting with Osama bin Laden's older brother in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. What? On the morning of September 11th, George Herbert Walker Bush's, Herbert, the, the father, you know, the, you know uh, was holding a business meeting with Osama bin Laden's older brother at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Wow. That's kind of crazy. So, I wrote in response to that, interestingly, former CIA director and then Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush, Bush's son, was scheduled to meet with members of the Hinckley family on the week that John Hinckley shot President Reagan. That's true. So, um, moving right along, Jeffrey Epstein and virology... So there's this guy named Nathan Wolf. He's a virologist. Nathan Wolf and Metabiota. Nathan Wolf is a World Economic Forum young global leader and the founder of Metabiota. Metabiota are directly linked to EcoHealth Alliance, which is unsurprisingly given that their stated objectives of zoonotic virus surveillance run along similar lines. In fact, Nathan Wolf sat on the editorial board of EcoHealth Alliance, as well as DARPA's now-defunct Defense Science Research Council. However, it gets even worse. Nathan Wolf is also directly linked to Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell and was one of the funding citizens of Ghislaine Maxwell's fake philanthropic organization, Terramar. Naturally, Anyone linked to Terramar, Epstein, or Maxwell must be exposed to the utmost of scrutiny. It immediately calls their character and their intentions into question. In light of this, why are these incredibly shady people involved in U.S. DOD and DTRA-funded virus research across the entire globe? Wow. Yeah, there's a picture of uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and Nathan Wolfe. You know, they were into eugenics. They didn't like people. Here, Disney sent children to Epstein Island for snorkeling. Wow. Let's take a listen. Blurb update today on Epstein. It was showing a photo of him at Disney. He's sitting down at the table. Piglet's behind him. It's him and another guy sitting down, and this guy is holding this girl, like, by her arms like this. That same girl is in another photo with Epstein. They're on the plane. She's, like, laying, she's sleeping. She's laying down, and he's holding her like this. Then, come to find out, Disney sent kids to his island for snorkeling trips for, like, nine years. Snorkeling. And, Holy and shit, their, cruise, their cruise ships uh, made stops at his island all the time. Can you believe that? Disney. And we all know what Disney is, right? Disney's a woke uh, son of a gun, right? 
Take a listen to this. Jeffrey Epstein wasn't just a DNA, eugenics, and depopulation obsessed Zionist who donated to the Israeli Defense Forces by chance. He was what we may call a Jewish supremacist. Okay, so he is he and Ghislaine Maxwell, according to this victim's testimony, believe that their that their and their fellow Jews DNA was superior to everyone else's and that justified them and their set to abuse abuse of non Jews. This is clear cut racism. We can't be blind to this. Okay, so let's just take a listen to this. This is a um, testimony from one of the victims. I wasn't allowed to go get food. And when I called Gilan and asked why I couldn't eat there, she said, it's a Jewish country club. You're not Jewish. They're not going to serve you. This is how this woman spoke to me. Yeah, this is how she, this is how these people think, Whitney. They, honest to God, think their DNA is better than everybody else's. I swear to you. It was a very, it was a theme all the time with them. With Eileen Guggenheim, with, um, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, with, with Gilan. It was a theme. You know, Jeffrey was a lot less horrible than Gilan as far as a human being, like just being around. Because she was raping just as many children. So the country club, you weren't so, allowed to go yeah, because it, it, it was never only known. for, um, you know, people of a certain religion Jewish and people. ethnicity. Okay. So that's yeah. Gilan talking. That's unfortunate. I mean, they could cut you down, and it was so morally devastating. Like, you know, like just you, you just felt useless as a human being when you were told you're nothing because you're not Jewish, you're stupid, you're useless, a useless white girl, a poor little peasant. You know, I mean, just the things that I was called, I was just like, I believed it, you know, because it was like a cult, the problem. Yeah, you wouldn't believe the way Jeffrey and Gilan spoke about African Americans. It was like, it made my skin crawl. Anybody who was not Jewish, and you can write about this, but the way they spoke about them, it was really horrifying. And it showed me a great deal about how these people truly believe that they're chosen to do something here. I don't know. It's unbelievable to me. I mean, and it was every one of them, the way they spoke. And one time I heard Isabel say to her mother, Eileen, Mommy, why do you call Maria a nobody? And she said, Honey, Isabel, Maria is not a Jew. She is a nobody. <laughs> well, you know, it, it is worth So you can see why for about 20 well, that, years. That type of stuff I might actually include just because um, the Maxwell family have you tied should include to this group it. You should um, include it. What's it called? Abad Lubavitch. And um, they, that uh, oh, group openly talks about um, how only That's Jews Ghislaine's are voice. human and the rest of human beings are like yeah. cattle, basically. That wasn't. That's crazy, isn't it? You know, um, the things you learn as you explore these things. So let's compare Black Lives Matter and J6 riots. Your outrage is manufactured. Black Lives Matter riots versus January 6th. So Black Lives Matter, 500 plus BLM riots. January 6th, right, right, uh, just one, right? Lasted seven months, Black Lives Matter. Lasted a couple of hours. Okay, Black Lives Matter. 20 plus murders, zero murders for J6. Hundreds of small businesses destroyed, no small businesses destroyed. 150 plus federal buildings damaged, one federal building damaged. Eight, $1 billion to $2 billion in damage, 
$1.5 million in damage. 2,037 officers assaulted. 140 officers assaulted. Protesters bailed out. Protesters kept in solitary confinement. Encouraged by media and politicians. Encouraged by fringe political groups and agitators. And the FBI, really. Let's be honest. Downplayed by the media. Exaggerated by the media. That's the difference between BLM and J6. Let's take a listen to Clay Higgins. Last hearing where you um, addressed Christopher Ray, you produced a photograph of what you called ghost buses. These two buses in the middle here, they were the first to arrive at Union Station on January 6th, 0500. I have all this evidence. I'm showing you a tip of this iceberg. Your point really was that there were unmarked vehicles full of individuals that have not been explained. Is that right? A ghost vehicle in law enforcement is not an uncommon reference. It's, it's a vehicle that's been purposefully concealed to, to whereby it's not easy to identify. So no license plate's been painted over from its original cover. In this case, these two buses were totally painted white, in like a, a cheap, fast overspray over all of the markings. So when you have two charter buses show up, the very first buses to show up in Union Station on January 6th. Around 5 a.m.? Around 5 a.m. Initial witness, another charter bus owner, arrived at, at 5.20. He thought he would be the first to arrive because he knew the schedule of all the other charter buses, and he knew that most of the buses would begin arriving around 6. So this charter bus operator was a very experienced man, very squared away. When he arrived with his couple of buses, these two white buses were, were, to his surprise, already there. And he immediately noticed that there was, these buses were odd because they were totally painted over. It was a bad paint job. There was no markings, no phone numbers, no company name, totally outside the parameters of the way charter buses are required to operate and by law. So he said, these buses are weird, and no one was getting out. So something else that happens within that charter bus driver community is the drivers know each other. And the passengers may stay on a bus if they're, if they're especially in a parking lot. They're not ready to disembark yet. Sure. The passengers might stay on a bus, but the bus drivers get off, and they talk to each other. They talk to the other bus drivers. So there are things that happen it normally that the absence of that happening was odd. So he was suspicious enough of these buses as a professional that he collected some digital evidence of those buses and then estimated with him and, and other eyewitnesses between 40 and 50 guys that they described the Trump supporters. They all disembarked from the bus and they gathered in front of, of the two buses and they had like some kind of discussion, a briefing, like the way the military leader would address his troops. Yeah, they call it a huddle. And then they together went to the escalators and up in the Union Station and were gone. And they were all men. They were all men in all the Trump regalia. These were men were in really good shape. 
it made comments like, wow, that's is a real serious Trump supporters, these guys. And and it said they all had uh elbow pads and knee pads and um they they appeared like they had common equipment but they were not in uniform. But they they behaved in a uniform manner. And we intend to get all of that video evidence from Union Station, uh, from the escalators, from the parking lot. We have other eyewitnesses. Much to the chagrin of everybody that was in those buses and everyone who commanded them to be there, we've identified one of those buses. And you know what that means? That means that's their ass. Because a bus is a serial numbered vehicle. And in America, the change of ownership of a serial-numbered vehicle is, is documented. So that means we can begin to trace from the original owner of that bus where it was sold and who bought it, and then who it was leased to and where it disappeared. And then eventually those buses were removed from the Union Station, and we're going to document all of that. So you believe that those buses held undercover officers, not informants, correct? I feel very, very confident that, that everybody that was on those two buses were FBI assets. And I have a high degree of, of belief that they were actual FBI agents. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, ma'am, my objective conclusion is that, uh, is that senior officials at the, at the FBI were deeply involved there. You had a combination of FBI confidential informants, uh, either registered, unregistered, or, or a volunteer informant, or actual FBI agents, depending upon the group and how significant the group was. Like the agents inserted and say that in the Proud Boys um, groups that were, were going to come to D.C., those are most probably actual FBI agents, whereas some, you know, random Facebook group of patriots from Arizona or something was most likely an informant. So it would still fall under the umbrella of an FBI asset if they were communicating with the FBI data that they were harvesting and information that they were recording and delivering to the FBI, screenshots of text chats or or actual recordings of phone calls, things like that, that they were delivering to the FBI, all part of the web of surveillance of the American people. What have you seen? Wow, that's amazing. Um, Anyway, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams show. That was that blows me away when I listen to that. Well, we are at the end of the Scott Adams Show. Be sure to check out MAGAPAC.org. Find out how we're advancing America first policies to make America great again. Make a donation if you can uh, in order to keep uh, to help keep the Scott Adams Show commercial free. No commercials. Hey, that's great. Also, use Red State over at MyPillow.com. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>